ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Season 5, Episode 4, Understanding New Approaches to the Biblical, I put that in quotes, Interpretation of the Flesh. The flesh. What is it and who are we to follow? Yes, kicking off this podcast with some Metallica. And yes, there's a reason for that. Uh, That song, Sad But True. It's funny how when I was in recovery from drugs and alcohol and going through this roller coaster back and forth with my theology, my relationship with God, and I would I would look at Metallica as, oh, I gotta stop listening to this music because Metallica, right, it's sinful, it's satanic. Like, I used to think that Metallica was the most satanic music ever until I got older and I started to understand some of the hurt going on in my own soul and started to listen to the lyrics for what they were. Was this kind of dark music, negative music, some would say, was it a stumbling block? I had a very wise man tell me uh, during one of my deconstruct, reconstruct seasons of life, he told me, he said, Russ, art is in the eye of the beholder. He's a uh, pastor. It's Matthew seven fourteen through 23. And Jesus said in Matthew 7 that nothing comes into a man from the outside and defiles him. It's, it's what comes welling up from the inside that creates problems in our lives. So what you're about to hear is a conversation that I'm having with two friends of mine, two friends I have history with, two friends that have also been on the ASI podcast before. These are two guys I've shed tears with. I've expressed and we've shared our joys with as well. These are two not neat Christian boys, but godly men that I, I appreciate in my life. And not just uh, as thinkers, but, but as, uh, as dudes. A big reason I refer to them as godly men is because they're courageous enough to talk about their faith as it actually is, as they experience life, not as they think it should or ought to be in their own lives or the lives of others, for that matter. Uh, we were all a part of Mars Hill Church in Seattle that busted apart, and all of us now have gone separate ways as far as where we attend church and how we work out our faith in community. In other words, we all don't still go to the same church and think the same about community, all right, to clarify. Um, But in this conversation, it's funny, my friend John sent me a text and he said, I hope this isn't a stumbling block for some of your evangelical listeners. And I thought, it may be. But one of the things I learned in having conversations and understanding 
what it means to live in community with others and to digest some of the thoughts and feelings of other people that I, I draw from, that I drink from, so to speak. All these social experiences, you could say, have taught me some very valuable lessons. Like how the stumbling blocks in life, whether those are experiences, other people that we interact with and rub us the wrong way even, those really heavy stumbling blocks can be repurposed into beautiful stepping stones. Stepping stones that to get through some of the mud, some of the hurt, some of the feelings of depression, anxiety, that feeling that our lives are just circling through a haunted sea in a ship without a rudder, that those stumbling blocks sometimes are the best stepping stones. Those hard things, the things that we we have a hard time processing in our old way, right? Those things. Um, so today on the podcast, some questions that we're, we're going to get into and what I believe are important questions that we ask on the inside Russ at ASI247.org, if you'd like to get in on the conversation, that's my email address. The website, of course, ASI247.org as well, to join the conversation, I guess, so to speak. But, but here's some of the questions. Do we view the flesh as something that's intrinsically out of our control? Is a skewed view of the cross that symbol that is so prevalent in Western culture and all over the world, that symbol that represents sacrifice, love, suffering for love, is the cross, or as some in seminaries or Christian theologians would call atonement theory, the way we work that out in our hearts and our minds, the way we solve the cognitive dissonance of our story in relationship with our Creator is the interpretation of substitutionary or propitiation or transactional atonement. Is that leaving us comfortably numb in our shame-based sin identities? saying goodbye to pornography forever or pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior. The, the reason most people are listening, can our relationship with pornography be ended by first ending our relationship with the trauma and shame that exists and lives in our own bodies? And can we be honest about our following in the footsteps of or idolizing functional shame management heroes rather than being honest fathers and mothers, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, as Tolkien would say, who teach by example what it means to live by the Spirit is one of the reasons the Christian church and Christian leaders 
as First Timothy 3, 7 would say, we have fallen into the devil's trap of disgrace rather than having a good reputation with outsiders. Is, could it be that as a spiritual culture of people who are supposed to be loving and gracious and his body, right? Is it because we love Jesus's holiness and deity more than we love his humanity? And we've become really bad at what it means to be and feel and love and suffer like an honest human being in this world. We suck at being human, right? Christians, right? Question mark. And the last question, how do we think about the flesh atonement and transformation via redemption? That stuff matters how we interpret the self, our own self-images. One of the biggest eye-opening ways of seeing the shame that lives, especially in the hearts of men, is through the issue of fatherlessness in our country and in Western culture. It's all over the world, the father wound. You're about to hear uh, some snippets from a film called Absent in the trailer uh, you're going to hear the voice of a, a man named Richard Rohr, who who I respect and been drawing from lately, uh, a Catholic priest. It's weird, right? I know. Um, but a Christian mystic at heart, this guy. Also, James Hatfield of Metallica, the man who wrote that song, Sad But True. Also in the film, John Eldridge is another guy I respect. There's uh, far too many to to name um, fatherlessness, shame, trauma, living in the heart. Here it is. On the surface, if you just take snapshots of Western culture right now, um, the prognosis is not good. I think it's the most universal wound on this earth. My father didn't ever accept me ever for anything I did. He, he just left. He didn't even say why. The absence of a father is, it's just a hole you can't fill. I wasn't the man. I wasn't taught to step up. It is universal on this planet. I lost everything at an early age. Tell me about your father. Was he around? No, never. He left without saying goodbye. He left a note. He left a note. And it wasn't even to me. Father wound runs so incredibly deep. It rings in my ear that scripture. Second Timothy three, chapter seven. He must have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Many times the secret devil that we all deal with is our self protective I'm going to survive at all costs egos. This song is a beautiful reminder to me that branded institutional religion can be this elusive, tightly fitting, unconscious mask. So a lot of us, we join an institution because we are vulnerable, right? And we expose that part of us that feels the shame, you know? And then there's this, yeah, we're we're here for you. We're going to pray for you. And 
can you help out over here and then make sure you're giving every week and we have this going on you need to be involved in that and there seems this pressure to conform to the system that's being sold and I had bought in man hook line and sinker over and over again and some of what I've learned is that deep down where I was actually looking to be comforted was this vulnerable little boy kind of part of me that has learned by real spiritual experience and relationship with my creator that my real savior is not this Jesus that's created by some, again, branded religious system or tribe as an acquittal attorney. It seems what passes for spiritual today is some religious leader's secret sauce of egotistical shame management strategies where we don't actually have to deal with that spiritual side of us. It's all like a corporate, tribal, military-like system that's survival of the fittest. See, a real spiritual family slows down to the pace of the weakest. This is a family-like structure rather than a tribe. It's realizing that Papa, Abba Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is my Savior. And listen, I'm not saying I'm anti-church, all right? I love the church. I love people in authentic community when they're able to nix, get rid of, cut out like cancer, the shame management agenda and actually be open and honest with each other. It's beautiful. I've never experienced anything like it socially in my life once I was able to take my own mask off and be honest about my own insecurities. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screw Tape Letters. I'm going to make a metaphor to that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it or read the book. It's a pretty short read. Wormwood, right? The voice of pornography is like wormwood. There was a study that came out. I was trying to search for it. It's uh, some reference to it in a link that I shared on the Facebook page that sexual dreams, erotic dreams, are not about sex. They're about relationship. They're about working out our relationships. I believe that pornography addiction or sexual compulsive behavior that's out of control is really on the inside. It's it's repressed loneliness, and it's something that most of us are unconscious of. So Wormwood is like this junior varsity demon that is speaking to that part of your ego. The varsity demon, the teacher demon, the PhD demon, the demon with the gold medal in influencing and coaxing souls over to the dark side the demon who, like a used car salesman, high pressures you continually, accusing you day and night to keep your behavior and your identity in your ego and not your spirit. That demon, screw tape, is shame. 
the shame that lives in your body. And if screw tape had an anthem, I think it would sound like this. Thank God for some of the hurt that James went through, like the blues in that old metal, like a dark late 20th century psalm, Metallica. On the other side of this bumper will be our conversation. You, you're my mask, you're my cover, my shelter. You, you're my mask, you're the one who's played. Do, do my work, do my dirty work, scapegoat. Do, do my deeds, but you're the one who's shamed. I'm your dream, make you real. I am here today with two of my good friends, great thinkers. These guys, I've known these guys for a long time. We are going to discuss a 21st century approach to the flesh. Um, this is, I wanted to introduce my friend John Gayton and Derek Hahn. We are in his house, in his basement right now, and we're going to uh, talk about sex and how some some concepts of what's going on right now in the 21st century, you know, how we've viewed sexuality. Um, a lot of folks are listening to this show right now, guys, because of some kind of unwanted behavior. Okay. Sexually. So, you know, something's gone awry. Something's gone from, oh, this is fun, this makes me happy, to this doesn't make me happy anymore, it's a bad habit, it's causing problems in my relationships, it's causing problems in my life. Right. And maybe I'm a Christian. A lot of folks who listen, I'd say right around 75% lately, would call themselves Christians in some kind of Christian denomination. And I wanted to unpack and and bring out the discussion, put the conversation on the table, that part of this has to do with interpretations of this word, the flesh, right? We look at sex is a carnal act you know in a, in a lot of different denominations it's been demonized that that would that's kind of what what i'm after is to relieve some of what um the flesh is talking about richard Rohr is oh, a guy yeah. that you and i uh, l- listen to and enjoy and and derek you guys have been to college <laughs> long time ago i have not but i've studied a, a lot on this stuff and and the the idea of ego as the flesh has is become sort of pop theology, to use those words, and I wanted to unpack some of that today with you two guys because I appreciate you guys. You guys are great thinkers. <coughs> I love what you have to say, and uh, Derek, let's start with you. It's okay. your house, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the big question would be, and I've had you. You are you both are second time guests. You've been on the show. I'm before. third, man. You're a third time. I'm third. That's right. You've been on three times. Once when you were our community group leader. Oh, wow. Way can, can you erase it? I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's a progression. Jones. That was season, what, two, three? I don't even know. We're on season five now. So we'll get together and have interesting conversations. So this is maybe just that. This is just an interesting conversation it. the three of us will have. Yeah. 
being recorded. Okay. For for um, hopefully help and and hope. So Derek, what I was going to ask you about this, just kind of what you've been through. We've all been through the Mars Hill experience. We were all members of the Mars Hill Church, and we've seen a, a transition. And I'm not going to go into bitching about Mars Hill Church. I've done a lot of that. It, my trust issues with this thing called church, um, feeling scammed, feeling like, you know, we got taken for a ride or whatever. But mm-hmm. at, at this point in time, um, July 2016, what do you think about how the church approaches this concept of the flesh? When when somebody says, like when somebody says, Derek, I have a I have a compulsive porn habit and my flesh is out of control. What would you say to someone like that? Someone struggling with, with something like that? I'm probably in a place now where I feel like I have less answers than I ever have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Humility. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's... I don't know. I, you know, typical of the early 20s, I feel like I had some clean-cut answers and some things that worked and some people that I went to for wisdom. Uh-huh. Uh, and that definitely seems to have changed a bit into my 30s right and just a weird spot in my 30s right now where uh I, john and i were talking about this the other day where i've just gotten to the point in my life where there's not you know when you're kind of in your younger 20s or even uh, later 20s there's still people in your life that you consider adults right like that that have life experience and can speak <coughs> wisdom into your life uh and then you get into your 30s and you start looking around and you're like nobody None of these people have this figured out. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm on an even plane with all these other people. <laughs> right. Like that guy's 50, but really, like when it comes to meaningful life experience, we're pretty, cl- like we're fairly even on that plane. Everyone's so, winging like, it, right? Like, <laughs> That's right. like, they may be more wise than me, but it's like you know, 10 percent more wise. Whereas in my 20s, it felt like people were two or three times right. more wise than I was, and it's. And so, in in a way, it's really depressing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's like I've got this figured out as much as anybody else I know does. Right. And I don't have any. Don't feel like I have anything figured out. <laughs> um, and I don't really have anybody to go to to speak into my life about that. Right. Um, and yeah, and, and also I get old enough to get burned a couple of times by some of the people. That, that I thought, had my, that, that, that I thought that yeah. I thought were the adults in my life right. that were telling me how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to the sex thing, uh, I mean the easy answers that I used to give was you know um, you need to be compelled by the gospel, uh-huh. and that if you really understand the gospel, the um, the you know the beauty of what was done for you will will obligate you uh and change you and right. and change your behavior uh but i feel like addiction is so much more primal than that like mm-hmm. i'm not even engaging the same part of my brain when i want porn as i am when i'm in church right so you know like i can sit in church and all of them you know from a logical standpoint makes sense and oh yeah, I mean, and I and I feel that obligation when I'm in church, uh, but when I'm in the mood to look at porn, my brain is just like that part of my brain is completely numb, right? And it's just, it's just, I want a big old shot of dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. Yeah, and it's and it's you know, <laughs> I just want to 
feel better for 10 minutes and and let my brain you know and part of the draw of pornography or sexual addiction is the fact that it's active in shutting down that part of your brain right so yeah that's true so it's and so the this part that's supposed to save you according to christianity is made completely inert and that's the attraction right and that's yeah, the reason yeah. that we're doing it is because is we get to completely escape from that logical emotional uh you know and we're just going to be animals for yeah half an hour yeah, <laughs> 10 yeah. minutes yeah um and with a huge old reward at the end right um <laughs> it's like like you think it's funny like a guy having orgasm it feels like you're going to put out this massive fire and then there's just like right and then there's like small little piece of Jurgen's lotion that ends up <laughs> coming out what do you feel like it's going to satisfy or, or, or whatever and but that's the the funny thing is is you know and this show is not just listened to, to by Christians and I appreciate the folks that have stuck with me over the years who are like what are you Christians so hung up on mm. you know like it's just sex like we get over it but they also have a bad habit right and some of those guys in the conversations i've had with them nofap is a great website that was started by an atheist and it's mostly non-christian um the nofap movement is over just like 500,000 people now oh, wow. are on the the reddit it's like that's like a subreddit. reset the brain sort of thing yeah, it's it's basically uh, they use words like PMO, pornography, masturbation, orgasm. This is the habit that that tends to lock us into addiction. Um, started out by you know twenty year olds going through uh, erectile dysfunction. Jeez. So th- this is part of what's what's happening. So I saw some meme like Fappy the masturbating dolphin. Is that like? A, oh yeah. That so be, fapping that, was, that, that, uh, that must be a joke. <laughs> right. Is an internet, is an is internet, an internet for, for masturbation? masturbation. Is that the sound that you make? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was on some anime or something like that, and they and they tied it to something. Somebody made a meme, Kids and then it became <laughs> exactly it became a thing. Uh, so. But that's interesting what, what you said, and it's it's funny how that's true about idealistic, how idealistic we are when we're young. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we grasp a hold of an idea, and it's almost like a psychological thing that we float on for a while. This thing can carry me until you start to realize that it's got holes in it, and it's starting to deflate, right? Well, our brain's always looking for the easy way, mm-hmm. and, and especially as Americans, you know, like that's just our culture. There's got to be an easy way. And so if somebody comes and presents you with something simple and logical and well thought out, and one, it's attractive because you've never thought of it before. Like, right. wow, that's, you know, like there's a jolt, like, and like, like, you know, it's not necessarily easy, but it's, <coughs> it's linear and it's well plotted out and I don't have to think or struggle through it. I just have to follow the steps so or I just have to follow the system. Yeah. I just have to, you know, <laughs> I just, ha- it, it'll, it'll be so much easier if I just stay organized and do what this guy is telling me to do uh, and then I don't have to feel out of control because um, then the you know it, this is going to work this right. is my, and that's you know we do that with everything weight loss is kind of the ultimate example of that but you know and weight loss is is weight loss and getting over 
getting through weight loss issues and getting through porn issues are very, very similar because yeah. you're dealing with dopamine and serotonin issues uh, and reward systems. Reward systems. And things that are good that have been twisted and ease of access and all those. So actually there's a really good um, This American Life that just came out that talks about fat people. And there's a movement inside people that are obese, which is fairly new to just, ex- like, this is who I am. I am fat. Right. And I'm not going to fix this. And statistically, you know, one in a hundred people get down to an ideal weight. Right. So, and, and so, and it deals with basically addiction issues mm-hmm. yeah. when it comes to being overweight. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and some people just get massive loads of dopamine and serotonin when they eat shitty food. Yeah. And, uh, Comfort foods. Right. Oh, yeah. And they go for... crave carbohydrates. And then when we don't get carbohydrates that actually give us any nutrition, we want more. Right. And then, oh, it's yeah. Addicting. And, and it's very close. And that's what something people... I've said on the podcast before. It's like, if there was... If it was a... If it was a nutsy-boltsy instruction manual for, you know... Because that seems to be what everybody wants. Everybody wants an easy fix. Like, give me the steps that I need to do to to overcome this thing. Because it's killing me. It's destroying my life. What do I do? And it's sort of like like you said with, with diet. Um, if, if there was... If, if information was the problem, there wouldn't be any fat people. Right. Because there was 100,000 <laughs> right. books right. on how to lose weight. Which is funny because there's so many people that are still... Tied to the these people just need to know that it's unhealthy for them. Yeah. Oh, they know. They, yeah. They, they know. freaking know. They, yeah. They they, they they've been told problem. since the age of three that it's not healthy. They right. know it's not. Yeah. And that's where we could get into some Freud, where Freud would say things about unconsciousness. Like he says, you have the subconscious mind that's doing things that you don't want it to do, but you're not aware of the emotions that are underneath it, so you keep doing this animal lizard brain, monkey brain behavior. Um, John is reading a book by, a, a listener sent me some information. We were trying to get this guy as a guest on the show. The guy who wrote The Game. Oh, Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss. The Truth. Yeah, it's an That's interesting right. read. I want to touch on something real quick oh, sure. for maybe your Christian listeners, where, where Derek mentioned the gospel uh, and, and somehow maybe reacting to the gospel or understanding the gospel will prompt you to... Uh, well, respond in obedience um, by being moved or compelled by it. But it's such a loaded word with so many different meanings, the gospel. And you know, sometimes when one word means everything, it ceases to mean anything. And I've had a shift, as you know, toward East, Eastern Christianity, yeah. where you, you find as you look through history, and this is just some encouragement for some of your Christian listeners to investigate how early Christians thought about the gospel and what it was. Because in the West, especially in the post-Reformation era, what we've really inherited, and this isn't to get too theological, but we've re- what we've really inherited is this paradigm where God is Zeus, and he's angry at you, and he needs right. Jesus to die for him to be able to love you. Uh, you know, or called penal substitutionary atonement. Right. So and we have a sort of a, a bipolar God. A schizophrenic bipolar Janice face God. Yeah, Janice yeah. face. That's great. And and that's Greek. That's very <laughs> Greek. And um, so in in the East, and you know, historically, the way sin was thought of wasn't about judgment. It wasn't about some. Uh, 
anything to do with like some kind of legal condemnation as much as it was seen as illness, as sickness. So when you sin, you're acting out of out of illness. And it's basically something that needs to be healed versus something that needs to be judged or condemned. And again, there's a lot said about this. There's a lot of reading one could do about this. But I think that paradigm shift overall maybe can be healthy with regards to what we're talking about or what your podcast is about. Because when you put guilt into the whole thing, uh-huh. it makes it more problematic. It almost makes it more addictive. I was yeah. actually listening to a secular psychologist just this last week talk about uh, porn addiction, and he was basically saying something along the lines of he does he's not really interested in what it is someone's addicted to. The fact is you're addicted, and, and it doesn't matter so much how you're medicating, but just, okay, you have a problem. It's, it, it's less important what it is. It's more important... Uh, you know, how to deal with the underlying issue and why you're doing what you're doing. But he did say that pornography can be more damaging or, or, or harmful, maybe especially for someone from a religious construct that there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with it. Because when you act out in that way, you're medicating, self-medicating some pain or acting out maybe with some pain. You want that dopamine release. Why? Well, because you feel like shit. So this will make you feel better. Well, what does it do when you act out? Well, it makes you feel like shit. So then you're just more likely to do it again. It starts this vicious cycle. And that guilt component is an element that can make it more addictive. And if you can somehow cut that loop, it might have less power over somebody. Mm. And maybe just exploring a more ancient, a more Eastern understanding of, of Christianity and how this was viewed could be healthier because because the whole historic view isn't that God needs blood in order to love you. Right. Uh, you know, um, the whole sacrificial atonement is, is just saw it's just seen very differently. It's seen is is for healing, for restoration, and for invita- uh, invitation to participate in the incarnation. Yeah. Uh, so the whole focus is on healing versus judgment. And I think that's a big difference. I think that's a, that, that shift can be healthy. And if I can encourage anyone, you know, explore that, look into it. There's a lot of yeah. great stuff. There's a more, there's a more honest walk that can happen through seeing, defining love differently. Yeah. That's, what, that's kind of what we're talking about here, but it's also being conscious of the, the, that being conscious of that love. And that word consciousness is, is a uh, something that is from Eastern Eastern philosophy or Eastern religion, Eastern practices. You know, it's a lot of a lot of this mindful stuff, uh, fi- mindfulness stuff. That uh, through knowing my friend Seth Taylor and getting into some of the stuff that he talked about, and he's you know, hey, you know, check out this guy and read some of this, and it's, I'm learning more about how that. You know, the, the, these Eastern things, a lot of a lot of stuff that's attached to Buddhism, in psychology, in mindfulness, in slowing things down, has some of it is very Eastern. In, in, in well, Christianity, Christianity, Christianity is an Eastern religion. Exactly, you know, that's it's true. Like, it started it, out as an Eastern religion. It, it moved to Europe, and then same things went. There, you know, there's a lot of overlap too, and, and quite frankly, I think that some, uh, you know maybe evangelical posturing or, or fear-mongering could be, oh, that's Buddhist, oh, that's Buddhist. Yeah. Well, it's it, though like like sitting and breathing and being present and aware and focusing on, you know, the present moment, how your body feels right now, like that's somehow uniquely Buddhist? I, I don't know. It yeah. seems like that's just mental health. Exactly. <laughs> it is mental It's just health. mental health. Well, meditation's... There's different forms of it. Right. Yeah. And modern 
you talk about meditation now, most people assume Buddhism. Yeah. But, well, there's like Zen Buddhism with the Ohms and right. But Buddhism's been around. Oh, jeez. I mean, no meditation. I mean, rather, has been you know lots of different forms and lots of different religions. It's not just a Buddhist. Yeah. And there's there's thought going to. Oh, thank you. Awesome. There we go. Derek's wife just entered the room. She's exiting now. Dropped off some. Uh, some uh, Very nice. Very nice. Um, so we're, sorry. Meditation. We had just a small little break there. Meditation. <laughs> um, but in the, in the, and I've even said this in this podcast in the early days. I've gone through like the me ten years ago who started this thing. Very different than the me sitting here in this room with these two men now. And something I've said about motiv- uh, meditation in the past. I'm ADHD. Um, I was diagnosed a couple of different times. I was diagnosed one time at, at the UW Medical uh, Facility, and <laughs> the, the, I remember the psychologist who diagnosed me goes, "What do you do for a living?" I said, "I sell pizza, and you make a living at that." I go, "Yeah, I go to big companies. And I sell pizza, and I just this, I just figure this out." And they go, "Wow!" And she brings me into this room, and there's some other students in there, like. This guy's ADHD. Tell him what you do. I'm like, I sell pizza. And I go, I don't know. It was weird. But I've been able to manage my... Were they weirded out that you sell pizza? Not that it was, no, but they, they just thought it was cool that I had I had functional... So as a salesperson, I'm pretty good with the, the gift of gab, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. I'm fairly good with people. Uh, people like me fairly quickly. Uh, so I guess they thought that, wow, it's, it's cool that you do that like i i tried to sell cars and insurance and that kind of thing but i'm just uh, like uh, my brain's not wired like that so i I found that area to where my brain was wired and today um the the mental health issues so doing the podcast in the beginning and talking about a lot of behavior modification a lot of seeing meditation as as memorizing scripture Mm. i think it's how i defined meditation a lot in the past um, thinking on scripture because I couldn't slow myself down. So here's what I thought meditation was. I had a friend who was who would say, "All right, count your breaths, right? Like try and count your breaths and see how many breaths you can get to before a thought pops into your head." And I, I don't think I could get through three. You know, I just found it super frustrating. So I started to think about this. You know, memorizing scripture, reading scripture, dwelling on scripture, which is great, but it, it didn't bring me to a point where I think that a lot of stress comes from well, it's not in, knowing the right things. You're trying well, when you're meditating. You're trying to engage a certain part of your brain, and if you're focusing on scripture, you're, you're thinking, engaging the exact wrong part of your brain for exactly. your meditation. You yeah. can't technically meditate on scripture. Like maybe a word a, that's or a, a line. That's <laughs> something that gets thrown around a lot. Yeah, but like just the very like those, that's like a, it's an oxymoron. Like you can't meditate on scripture. Sorry. So there, there's yeah, yeah. A, you can think on it, you can dwell on it, you can pray about it, but ultimately, it's still, it's still, it's still, to use the boat analogy, it's still somebody running around up here on the top deck, right. and that's part of the problem. Is there's this dude manly running around on the top deck, and where our heart is, and the things that we treasure aren't getting right. There's an ancient form of, of Christian meditation called hesychasm where a lot of monastics or desert fathers, and you know, really it's just like a common practice uh, for, for Eastern Christianity. And there's a form of it in, in the West, mainly with Catholicism as well, but 
but where you recite what we call the Jesus prayer, which is the prayer of the publican, uh-huh. not the Republican, although they need prayer too, <laughs> but the prayer of, of, of the publican where we walk with our prayer rope that has these beads, these knots on it, and just quite simply as you inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's something, there's actually like neurological benefits just to doing that and just like having your fingers go through the beads and just reciting just that simple prayer, inhale, exhale, those those lines. And there's a, a calming effect, a meditative effect. I'll often do that just walking uh, on the beach uh, with my wife or just looking at my kids, just breathing that, that way. That exists in Catholicism. Like, oh, but very much so, with the rosary. Religion, and Islam, did you know it's in Islam? Yes, but originally in Christianity. Right. <laughs> but, but yes, but yes. Yeah, those are... It, 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 they'll they'll the rosary in Catholicism, which could have, you know, the same, similar meditative yeah, effects. Yeah. Of course, a lot of your Christian listeners might not want to pray to Mary, which is okay, but... Right. Well, there's a lot of Catholics that still <laughs> oh. listen. I don't know why, but I'm actually Catholic. with the Jews and the knots on there. I love my Catholic sure. listeners. Well, and, and, of course, they adopted and incorporated a lot of that, and is is uh, they converted and the Gentiles were grafted in and and here we go we have prayer ropes and then beads it became easily accessible and they decided beads were better than t- knots on tassels but right. there's right. but the, well there's this more space between for the fingers but there is right. something to that there is something that tactile that uh, that just on a neurological level your, your your monkey brain just likes just finds calming I mean yeah. if we're talking about evolutionary biology the you know the the primal monkey brain it just calms it right there's something right. to it i think so we'll get into a little freud based on what you just brought up because there's christians listening even myself i was a little anti-atheist for a little while i got into and it was a pastor that i followed pastor rick at ac3 i love pastor rick he's 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 one of the vampires that turned me <laughs> towards Christianity ah. when I lost my faith well, just about completely still believed in God he's like your Lestat uh, or something yeah, <laughs> yeah something like but he uh, I love Rick but but some of that um, does the, the Discovery Institute you know this kind of oh. scientifically proving that evolutionary biology is you know we, we don't and, we, and I believe that we don't know everything we, we have theories I'm, I'm a premise guy and I'll stick to that like I, I, we don't know like there was a bunch of gases in space and that exploded and, and we're all here so there's there's a lot to this story there's a lot of magic out there that happened first so I don't know I can I can say that like that's my mm. that's my I don't know in the world like, like Alice Cooper Alice Cooper goes one of the, his quotes was how do we know that God's not a magician? You know, like the Pope mm-hmm. said, like the God said, the Pope Francis said, God's not a magician, and, and we believe in, you know, evolutionary biology. And uh, and Alice Cooper's like, well, how do we know the world's not 6,000 years old? Like, I wasn't there. Now, I don't believe that, because just based on science, um, I'm not a canned ham guy. Even though that guy has a following, it's like, uh, I, I, I disagree with that, but I think there is a lot that we can glean from Freud that we can glean from evolutionary biology. Oh yeah, and you are you would fall under, and and I, I'm becoming more accepting of an evolutionary um, creation by evolutionary means. 
as, than as, I was. It, it, perhaps a bit condescendingly, I heard a good quote. It's like there, you know, like like evolution isn't something you believe in. Either you understand it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a little. I, I I think as time goes on, there's more conclusive evidence, especially yeah. as they map the human genome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just it, it just seems to be a, a good working theory that that's how we got here. If that was guided, God ordained, you know, I'm willing to 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 go along those lines because it just seems like, you know, we're here for a reason and it's just too beautiful and wonderful. But what if that's the way God chose to orchestrate creation and yeah. over time, over a long period of time? Uh, do I know that factually? No, that's a faith statement, but it does seem like, you know, in terms of what we're talking about with science, that that is in- indeed what seems to be the case of, you know, what what's going on. Right. So, um, I, I would probably go with, uh, you know, like BioLogos is a good resource for a lot of good information about that to, to explore. But, but yeah, we're all in process and, you know, we don't know. Yeah. But I think that that's a good working theory that's demonstrative uh, based on what we know to date. Right. What science points to to date. So. You, were, you were bringing up something interesting. I know someone you read that said that what if um, the, the Mago Day entered in about... 50,000 years ago. Right. Yeah, and th- that's a story I, I, I like to tell because... Um, and again, we're talking about theory. This is theory. Well, there's something, demonstra- there's something demonstrative about theory, though. Like, the, the, yeah. this is what we know to be true. Um, is, is that, yeah, I mean, if you take modern Homo sapiens over a period of 200,000 years, evolution seemed to really accelerate around 50,000 years ago where we became tool makers, we started building things, and there was just like this rapid acceleration. Right. And it's just that question of, you know, well, what if that's where God chose to breathe life into the nostrils of a modern human, and, and you know, we became image bearers at that point. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. Like, I was I was, I was having a conversation with, with a friend who was struggling with, with his faith in some way, and kind of going the route of, of atheism, hard atheism. We were talking about some of these scientific elements, and we were talking about this very thing. And I posed that question to him. If it was just 50,000 years ago, man became an image bearer. And he said, well, you know, yeah, maybe we don't know. And science someday will fill in the gaps, and we'll figure out why that you know, evolution was accelerated at that time. And okay. I said, wow, that sounds like faith. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, at some point, science will figure it out. Yeah. yeah, it's a faith statement. Yeah, and you know maybe they will. I don't know, but um, but right now it seems to make some sense at least from from the way I see the world. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's someone else talking about recently suggesting that that rapid acceleration had to do with uh, you know our ancestors uh, taking magic mushrooms <laughs> and all that, like their brains expanded and widened. And they were able to you know work with all those, like, they found peyote. Yeah, and Moses saw a burning bush. Was he tripping? I don't know. <laughs> so, so it's, yeah. So there's some there's some different ideas out there about that. So so there's things we know. There's things that we don't. We know that that we did rapidly accelerate at that time. Uh, why we don't know, but but that does seem to be the case throughout you know the yeah. the record. So it's interesting. That's something I learned. Uh, I went through a statistical process control as a machinist, and then when I studied the history of, of Jesus, I mean, there's there's this huge mound of data, historical data around around this time in history that's really difficult to ignore. Like to say Jesus was just this great teacher. Um, there was a lot of great teachers that didn't have this kind of bell curve kind of effect on human history. 
as Jesus did. And, and that's where I find myself today is I'm less of a religious person. I believe that Jesus was God in human flesh. Whether you want to believe that or not, that's up to you. But that's part of my faith walk. I believe that Jesus is a, is a historical figure. And if his bones or DNA are somewhere out in the desert somewhere, we're all fools. <laughs> so, so, but really faith is how you're going to live your life tomorrow. And it's based on, we could talk about consciousness here. It's based on how conscious we are about the, the trajectory of our lives. Yep. How it's going to unfold, what's going to look like five years from now, right? Based on the decisions we make today and not just cognitive decisions but decisions of well-being you know decisions of uh you, you hear you hear this word the enlightenment right mm-hmm. and this goes to consciousness too but here's where i wanted to unpack a little bit of of freud as we're as we're talking about the flesh um so freud was is probably the most uh, famous psychologist of all time. If you you know if we're on Family Feud and you go famous psychologist and you go boom Freud, like everybody's going to say Freud. Well, he invented it. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> right, right. And then a lot of the field discounted a lot of what he did. Oh, oh yeah, there's still a lot of that. And there's and speaking of face statements, um, I was listening to a lecture at Yale and the, the professor was saying that Freud didn't. I mean, Freud called himself a clinical psychologist, but there was no way to measure data based on the, the the ideas of Freud. Like uh, anal, for example. You can't just put that on a chart and say... <laughs> there was, there was, an, there was a, a, a philosopher who had a great quote. I forget the name of the philosopher, but he would say, he would say, oh yeah, I heard about so-and-so's work. He's full of crap. He's not right. And he's not wrong either. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a face statement. Like you... You can't if you can't measure it in clinical like, okay, because this kid held on to his bowels when he was two, he became this person, right? Like if we we can't measure that, we could, I guess we, but there's no proven results, right? Way too many variables, right? And there's uh, that is across the spectrum of Freud. So my my idea of Freud, the way I unpack Freud, is he had a really a lot of good metaphors. Like Mm -hmm. he was sort of a prophet in secular thinking Mm -hmm. for his time, big time. Yeah. So he was, you know, a few years after (coughs) Darwin, Mm -hmm. and he's coming up with these ideas. Like, all right, we got these monkey brains. You know, the reason you do this is because of this unconscious. So he would go into the unconsciousness as well, the subconscious. Yeah. So he would call it the subconscious. So the reason that... Psychotherapy. Yeah, yeah, that's psychotherapy. So the reason you're doing things is because you want to see things change. And this is, addiction has a lot to do with this. Like you're doing things you don't want to do, but you keep doing them. Now that's based on something that's internal. It's something... Sounds like Saint Paul. <laughs> exactly right. So there's these threads. There's these similarities between Freud and the church, right? right? So it's funny how there's people, always overlaps. Well, all truth is God's truth. That's right. right? And, hey, we're Christians. Truth is ours. Well, right? yeah, <laughs> that's but yes, y- y- yes, and no. I, I mean, all truth is God's truth, and ultimately mm. there'll be truth elsewhere. And if you touch on something that is this light that is true, then yeah, recognize it. He touched on something for sure. Yeah. Very true. So 
yeah, this this idea of of the flesh is simply that we are. If we can admit it, that we have a inclination to be animals at times, mm-hmm. like. Um, when we get hungry, I remember in redemption groups in the early days or grace groups back in the day, um, James Norag and these guys talking about hit, right? Hit. You come to if you come hungry. to the group, it's not hungry, 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 isolated, or tired. Yeah. Those three things will will, in my opinion, looking back on that, those three things will engage that that monkey kind of brain. Sure. So yeah. if you're if you're hungry, you're more of that primal level of things. We call it hangry. Hangry, <laughs> yeah. There's even commercials on it in this country. It sounds like me every day at 4 o'clock. Exactly. You get that 2.30, you need a 5-hour energy. Yeah, exactly. So becoming more, you know, becoming more honest about that, I think is very important. Right. Seth, Seth Taylor unpacks in this book, and he's got a lot of flack for his book from Christian circles, um, but th- that's very true. Admitting, admitting what's sexy... Yeah. You know, like stop saying that you think that this, like you see an image of a young woman and guys, even when they get into their 60s and 70s, I'm sitting in traffic today and this woman walks across the street and I look at the guy next to me and he's, <laughs> he must have been 75 years old. He's like watching her across the street. She's like primal. 25 yeah. years old. You're right. So there's something in us that's like fertilized, <laughs> fertilized the, right, the, the fertile female Something in there that's very Freudian, yeah. That we can say, okay, and I guess to deny that is not healthy. It, it's not healthy. I, I like Seth it doesn't Taylor's mean you have book. To chase it. To, I, I like his book, as you know. I so I could see him getting flack for it in other places, but he gets flack with it in terms of suggesting that you recognize it. Yeah. Well, because in, in Christian terms, I think that there's a difference Christians between like like that. acknowledging it and recognizing it versus drinking it in and indulging exactly. it. I think yeah. that's the difference. You know. Yeah. That's a beautiful woman. Identifying the desire. Yeah. Without without indulging. without going indulging. without going the monkeys, like the three monkeys, like see no evil, hear no evil, <laughs> speak no evil. And then we're going back to kind of like what you said in the beginning. This this surfacey moral sort of and, and that's another thing. So well this is one of Freud's concepts as well. So the ego was an idea that was Freudian. Freud mm-hmm. said that we are so we're, we're we're lizard brain. That's the id. Mm-hmm. It's hungry. It wants to. It wants to screw. It wants to eat. It mm-hmm. wants to sleep. It wants to attack any anything. It's, it's very defensive. Right. It wants to keep what's its. Yep. Hoarded in the, our hoarding mentality. That idea of hoarding. That's all very id. It's what's running most of the world. Right. <laughs> and then so the the idea of the chariot. Um, and, th- and this is argued that Plato's chariot is where Freud got this idea. So Plato would say in philosophy that that man is uh, is the horses. The horses are that id, right? Mm-hmm. And then the man, the self. And there's a lot of, and this is another thing today. Something that I'm, I was trying to unpack with this this uh, self phobia that we seem to have in Christianity. We don't know what the self is, and that's what's in flux. And Paul Young and I were talking about that via email, going back and forth. That there's this shift in Christianity in identifying what the self is, because mm. and we'll, we'll get to that later. But hold on to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so the self is the guy in the chariot driving the horses, and the super ego is like. Caesar behind him, going, go right, telling him what direction to run. 
So in Freud's idea, in Freud's language, the id and the superego are both incredibly stupid. Right? Like they don't have a lot don't of... have enough information. Right. right? Mm-hmm. A lot of philosophy is unpacking what is logical, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what is rational, <coughs> critical reasoning... A lot of a lot of philosophy departments are are named critical reasoning one hundred one or something like that. So, so if you think back to some of the old movies or TV shows where you have like an angel and a devil sitting on the person's <laughs> shoulder, right? Like the devil is the id going, yeah, you should crack open that laptop. Nobody's around. Your wife just went out with her friends, and your your kids are being babysat, and you got this time alone. Like, you know, there's the and then the super he goes over here going. You're going to hell <laughs> if you end up jerking that. You know that, right? You're, you're, you're. Uh, all these different voices. So I find the law at work. This <laughs> Paul. Yeah. So I find the law at work. That's, that's brilliant. What's to do good? But yeah, that's yeah. Romans seven. Exactly. So he's he's sitting in between Freud's superego and 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 the id. Um. And I think that's important that we unpack that in Christian terms, because I think what's happened, and I'd like to get your guys' idea of this, and, and both, I respect both of you, you got brilliant minds, and, and here's, here, so here's what I'd like to unpack, that a lot of churches today, and we have saw this at Mars Hill, I think that there's a, 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 especially here in the United States, we have a culture of branding. Mm. We love to brand our gang, our tribes. tribes. Yeah. So, what a lot of churches have done, I was just talking with a guy this morning about this in an email where he said, he said, I'm finding too many people that are telling me to follow such and such man. And he mm-hmm. says, I want to do what's biblical. And I said, well, I said, let's <laughs> unpack what's biblical. That's such a knee-jerk reaction to that word. Like, biblical. Is anyway, it? It, it is, it, but it is. So so that's where I'm going with this. That's where I'm going no, with I, this. I, don't, I, I love the Bible, but I mean, I'm just saying like... It, it, <laughs> right. You know. But I, see, I get what he's because saying. Because whose interpretation are you Exactly. Saying, what, he wants something know. to trust. I want to trust God. Yeah, sure. No, okay, no, I that think that's sense. his desire. He really that's wants to trust thing. God. Right. But the fact is, like you said, which interpretation? We have 30,000 denominations of Christianity that are on the books. I've read up to 40, but yeah, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. yeah there, there's a number lot. of them out in the United States. More. Every pastor is really their own denomination. They are. Yeah. And so One of the unintended have... consequences of the Reformation is every man became his own pope. Yeah. <laughs> Luther did well, away with the pope. Even in Catholicism, every pope had their own denomination, essentially. They really did a lot of, the, you know... They had their own tweaks. Yeah. Like early on? Right. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. There's a lot of infighting and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and there still is today. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just look at what Francis is doing now. There's different, right? like, like yeah. you're Dominicans or Franciscans. It's, it's almost a different denomination now than it was when he came in. Yeah. yeah. It, I significantly. Would, I would say a good one. A different a better, ideology. A better one. A better one. <laughs> but, but different. Better, but different. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. That makes and sense. So he's, he's, yeah, Pope Francis is rebranding and throwing another raft out there of, of ideologue for everybody to jump on and feel right. safe about. And the, and the uh, denomination is tied to the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where we're following the man. Right. So that's kind of what I wanted to unpack. I wanted to get your guys' idea or, or, or thoughts on this. That one of the one of the issues why pornography addiction is so incredibly rampant in this country and around the world, but really 
it's seeing this in the United States because I understand American culture, and I know this show is listened to all over the world. But in American culture, the branding and we are we are inundated, and I know the rest of the world has become westernized, especially English speaking countries that are hearing me now. Um, we are inundated with ads where people are trying to sell us such and such product. And, and that's kind of a gospel, like a mini gospel. That's something I <laughs> Driscoll, but it is a good analogy. Like you're in, you're in, you're you're in hell. You need product A to save you from that hell. Right. So when you get, you know, the the, the dishwashing liquid, that it'll <laughs> make me happy. Right. It's, uh, there's a thing that's been going on the internet. Micro hells. Micro hells. Like no, I've mi- that. micro torment. Uh, like uh, you know, in, in micro hell, you have a. a, a hair on your tongue that you can never take off. Just, <laughs> you just have the feeling of having a, a hair on your tongue. You or, you know, you have a, a shirt with eight collar with uh, eight tags sewn into the collar that are just constantly itching you. Like, like so, You're playing Pokemon Go and you're about to catch that great Pokemon and then your phone dies. Right, every That's time. A every time. Every time. <laughs> For eternity. Right. So, and it, yeah, so, so American ads are Here's, let's present the micro hell. Micro hell. And here's the solution to your micro mm-hmm. hell. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love Donald Miller. But the, Donald Miller's new thing with branding and, and, oh, yeah. and his storyline, I think it's brilliant. But it is it is creating a new story around the micro hell. How, how do I become the self <clears throat> that is more acceptable among my peers? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of churches that and that's one something that I want people to be cognizant of is that there's that super ego that the church is selling every church has a different one every pastor has a different story and I appreciate every pastor for having a different story I think that it's important that we learn from people who have overcome some things in their life whether it's been depression anxiety which is all with, with all bir- all addiction is birthed out of those two things how we manage stress and how we manage anxiety and depression and i think that there's just a lot of stories out there we follow different brands different pastors different tribes marcel was a tribe that grew really really fast and we all a lot of a lot of the culture followed that tribe and are still really interested in that story and i think that this is I, i'd love to get your thoughts on that so is the church of the united states the protestant church and even like you were saying the catholic church the new super ego you know, in Freud's thinking, when it comes to the flesh. Hmm. Uh, Some of it. Yeah. It's I, also... good. So that branding thing, Joe's yeah. going to laugh at this because this has been an obsession <laughs> of mine for a year, really came from Edward Bernays. Have I talked to you, Dress, about Edward Bernays? At no, all? no. So fascinating. Absolutely fascinating individual. And arguably responsible for the way America works in terms of just what we were talking about, how we advertise to people and how we get people, how corporations get people to do what they want. You can blame World War II, everything from World War Two to evangelicalism on, on everything. <laughs> it's like no exaggeration. So, so it's super bizarre. He was Freud's nephew. Oh, wow. And he took Freud's theories and said, how can I monetize this? So this is, you've never heard of this guy but it is, start looking into it, it is freaking weird. It will weird you out. <laughs> right. That this, he basically hijacked America and made them dance for him. And he's, and his theories have, 
he he invented the term public relations. Oh, wow. Uh, because previously it was propaganda, and propaganda had the word propaganda had a PR problem. And negative, so he right. changed it to public relations. Right. Um, so that was him. Like pyramid schemes <laughs> or multi-level marketing. Exactly. Now. Like, yes. <laughs> so he was the king of that type of thing. But his big thing was identifying the id, uh-huh. and then identifying the illogicality associated with the desires of your id, and then coming up with a brand representation of that irrationality and appealing to that. Right. So. Um, so, like in evangelicalism, like it's like I'll, I'll take Marsville specifically. I think part of the brand appeal was uh, logical absolutism, mm. right, and kind of edgy, right? Because almost anti, uh, right? The man. So it, it appealed to the rebellious nature, right. the desire, you know, that's so deep in Seattle. Oh, yeah. like it's amazing coming. Lift me up, man! I'm like this guy says swear words. <laughs> this guy is against a lot of the Christian. It's like fundamentalism with the Ramones T-shirt, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. Well, it's also why it worked in Seattle so well is because it was so countercultural to Seattle, because Seattle. Was so anti fundamentalism. <laughs> so, fundament- yes. <laughs> so fundamentalism, fundamentalism freaks people out in right. Seattle. Like they, they go ape shit on you oh, yeah. if you if you are a fundamentalist. So and so that was. I mean, originally, I think you know at the at the germ of what Mars Hill was. I think that's where it started. And then also, I mean, Mark was really rational and logical, and and uh, very good at, at creating arguments. Um, that, that followed a progression, um, and and a lot of the f- and he appealed to the '90s kid that came out of the church that suddenly became an adult and realized all the teaching that they've had in the past is completely illogical. Like right. none of it made sense. Nobody ever explained anything to me. Yeah. They just told me what to do in an you know in an authoritarian standpoint, but there was no logic behind it. There was no reason behind it. There was no foundation behind it. And Mark was able to do that um, in a way that really appealed to that that id desire for safety. Yeah. It's really kind of you know that like insecure thing, right? Yeah. Yes, the, yeah. the there's the I'm looking at my life and the practices I have, and there's nothing behind it. There's yeah. just it's just it's just a forward moving you know silk a blanket. Like right. there's just no structural integrity behind it whatsoever. Right. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And so, and and that was Mark's brand was was, I'm going to give you a reason for everything that you're doing. Right. The downfall was, the reasons may not be as logical as you. Yeah, and I said that before. He became what like, he opposed. He, he being, yeah, he, as he grew in popularity, his it was so hooked on popularity, fame, money, whatever it was, that that became the downfall of the of the whole thing. And I I might be in a place where I have a bias against. Um, sort of deconstructing or, or, or questioning Western Christianity, and it, it, you know, basically just post-scholasticism, <coughs> post-rationalism. So everything is rational. It is based on on knowledge, head knowledge, information. Um, and, and one of the Eastern critiques of it is that it's very Gnostic. Well, it's very pagan and very Gnostic, because, like, you're saved by information. You're saved by what you know. Oh, I know, or i.e., I believe Jesus died for me, and therefore I'm saved. Well, right. you know, so, so what? So you're saved by information? Is salvation really that simple? Right. It's, it's more complicated than that. It, it, it's, it's a whole life process. Right. And, 
And that's where you enter into the mystery. Uh, that's why I talk about the acquittal analogy. Like, oh, I got it's this acquittal thing. from... <laughs> yeah. God, God, God gave me a death sentence, but Jesus acquitted me, and I'm fine. So and again, it's... There's coming, no relationship. It's stuff. coming away from that, from, from that, that, that legal model. But, but, I mean, I would just ask, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I've sat through my share of, of, of sermons or, or, or lectures, or I've had <laughs> the, you know experience with the worship band or, or, or whatever but but you know ultimately I think you get to a point where you ask is that transformative and yeah. and there's this there's this sort of thing where one can distinguish or, or, or talk about is, is is faith is your faith transactional or is it transformative now don't misunderstand me though because there's a lot of things in the east that one could see as transactional as well I think ultimately it, it, it's it's a place in your heart. And, and how you interact with those ideas, but but your whole life being and, and just being a person of, of faith, and again, I'm talking to your listeners that are people of faith, is just more complicated than information and what you know. Yeah. And that's where I think Seth Taylor in, in his book, uh, you know, really, I think accurately was describing entering into an experience, and ultimately yeah. it, it needs to be something lived out, something experiential, a mystery. And that's not easy to pen down. It sounds very nebulous. It almost, I mean, some people would sound, say like, you know, it, it sounds new agey or, or something. But the fact is, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And so I think we look for this external thing outside ourselves. Yeah. And it's not that God, God is a force beyond us, but it's also in us too. Yeah. Um, there's an Eastern Orthodox prayer. You know, one of the parts is God is everywhere present and filling all things. Well, I mean, that's inside and out. It's not. So sometimes I think the, the the way to go is is to go into the thing you're trying to avoid, go into the pain, go into the suffering, and figure it out. That's where psychology and and religion sort of overlap. Yeah. But I think there's really something to that. A lot of psychology, like even like um, you know, I've done a lot of looking into. Uh, like psychology with regards to anxiety issues it's really counterintuitive but but the way to resolve anxiety isn't to avoid it it's to go into it yeah into into experience it and as you experience it, it's, it's like a chinese finger trap you go into it and you experience relief from it yeah. over time so going i going to the places that scare you you know, I like Nikki Six. Is is I mean, as a as an ex rock star, one of those kind of King Solomon modern day stories. I love some of the things that he's he's said about what you're you're saying there. You know, he says go into that thing that that is like that dentist going around with a hook in your mouth. He walk into the scary places that scare you. You know, he was in an interview and he said uh, he said I kept I, he said I kept being in this tug of war with my demons. For years, you know, struggling with his addictions, in this tug war with his demons, he said, "One day I just let go of the rope," you know, and and he started to see where the functional chasing and trying to manage was part of the the problem, and mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of that in Christianity, and we we brand it and. Um, pornography addiction has come mainstream. Almost every church has a group for it. I would question churches that don't. <laughs> you know, I question churches that do also. Good. But do the ones that don't, churches that have a special group just set aside for it, or, or, or any group that that deals in in, in addiction. In addiction. Right. So that's what's that's interesting about um, uh, community groups. And I talked about that in the show, and I I was like. 
I was sort of like a guy in a recovery group in the community group with 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 John, the, the one that you were leading, which was weird for a lot of people. And I don't know if a lot of people handled that well, but that was just me. I'm a, I'm a very experiential faith kind of guy, as a, and I think a lot of addicts are. Mm-hmm. They go through. I mean, that's part of the twelve steps: is is you you walk into the the addiction, you you make a relationship with the higher power. That's the only thing that's going to save you. You can't save yourself. You've already proven that. You know, step one is you surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, the the experiential faith. Well, in part of that, at least for me, is it involves it involves liturgy. It involves doing something. It involves practice right. versus just again information being disseminated and you listening and taking it in. How many sermons have you, can you remember oh, man. in your life that you've heard? I mean, really, yeah. you know, and, and people sit Sunday in, Sunday out, and it, you know, maybe you feel good after. I'm not saying that there's nothing to it, but um, and, and I'm all about you know, it, it's fine to have the Bible preached and and whatever, but when that's the focal point, when that's the main event, when that's what you get up and go to on Sunday, I just have questions, and this is from someone who's unpacking that and has been unpacking that. What does that do, and does that change you, and does it do anything? It might for a little while, I, I don't know, but I think mm. having a, a live faith, there, there's disciplines to it. Like we, you know, I was saying earlier with maybe meditation, a, a practice. Faith should be a practice. It should be more of a of a, of a verb than, right. than than an adjective or a noun. You know, faith should be something lived out, and there should be disciplines to it. Yeah. The Quaker culture had some of that, right, Derek? It was mostly that. <laughs> right. Did it do anything for you? No. Uh, well, I, so so I mean, you grew I, up in some Quaker culture? Kind of. I mean, it was mostly, uh, honestly, it was mostly just a classic 90s church for most intents and purposes. Uh-huh. Um, so what is Quaker theology? What does that look it's, like? It's real similar. It's funny because John and I, the more we talk about it, the more... My background is really similar to where he's headed. Except um, they're, they're like iconoclastic. They are, so. Yeah, so that's that's the biggest difference is they're as hyper-iconoclastic as you can get. So they're anti-liturgy, uh, anti-icon. Right. Uh, they don't baptize. It's idolatry. Right. Right. They don't baptize. Which it's not, but go on. <laughs> it, can, <laughs> it can be, it's, which is what they were reacting to. Anything can to. be, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what they were reacting to. Um so, it, but they're like hyper communal. So their whole thing was communal. One of their pillars, I guess, for lack of a better word, was uh, communal meditation, and they called it silent worship, where you would sit in a room, and that's where they got the name Quaker, is uh, is where you because you would sit in a room uh, with other Christians and you'd silently, uh, they called it the inner light, and you're trying to find the Holy Spirit, basically. But it's it's a form of meditation, and you would sit for two or three hours uh, in a group of people, and they would all pursue the Holy Spirit quietly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a community, and it's not, it's kind of the opposite in Buddhism, whereas Buddhism you're focusing on the self, mm-hmm. and this you're mm-hmm. focusing on local communal relationship and uh, spiritual relationship in a communal meditative state. Um and uh, and it's really and so I didn't really get into that until college when I went to a Quaker school and started exploring that a lot more. Right. Um, and it's really amazing, and they have, and it's 
But it's like John was saying; it's focused on the experiential, and it's a practice. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it's literally a practice. Like it takes some work. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, you know, as you've been playing the meditation, it's not, especially to us Westerners, it's not obvious how it works. Yeah, no, it's um, not, and, yeah. it, and it takes some practice. Um, we live in a very sped up world, right? At a push button world, and it, 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 I, I just suspect that, in you know, I'm speaking for, for myself, but that. Just seems to be the way forward, yeah. In a lot of things, in a lot of regards, and perhaps in regards to, to what it is that, that you deal with, and and I, I I don't know. I'm I'm not getting any kickbacks. I don't know Seth Taylor, but I enjoyed his book, and and I don't agree with everything he said. I don't agree with any 100 percent of anything you know people say, but but a lot of it is is really good. I think pointing in the right direction, just yeah. experience, mystery. Um, this idea of living in the spirit. Cutting the loop from the guilt and the shame, I think, is a big part because yeah. it's just an unnecessary part of it. And that's something I did talk about a lot in the podcast is a, 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 gra- a consciousness of grace. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that says, you know, uh, against such things there is no law. Right. And then we get into living in the spirit. And that's some of what Derek's talking about. These are some of the disciplines to what it looks like to live, a, 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 to, to identify with the spirit, to slow down enough. To get back to our, our roots as, as as spirit creatures rather than animals. These, these Bernesian, uh, this Bernesian hamster wheel we're all on. You know? <laughs> That's right. It's run by advertising and the ego and all this stuff. It's just madness, yeah. Chase the irrationality. Mm-hmm. That's right. Carrot on a stick. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, uh... So what are you saying about community? Because you started to talk about community groups and community... About community, um, well, I wanted to talk about the, the book you're reading a little bit because oh. that that touches on some of this. So, uh, real quickly before we wrap up, um, Strauss. So I was tr- me and another listener were trying to get uh, this cat on the podcast. We we're getting a hold of his publicist, and that we haven't had any any response. But he is the guy. If you think about the film Magnolia, and, mm. and uh, Tom Cruise at the beginning of that film teaching about how to pick up chicks, right? How to be this sexual, I mean, it's this hyper, hyper-sexual id kind of thing going on. Teaching that, um, it's how to get laid is basically what it was. And seeing women as, as meat, like we are the predator and they are the prey, that kind of thing. So Strauss wrote books like that called The Game, Right. Yeah. And, and the book he wrote recently is called The Truth. The Truth. Right. right. And I don't. I've only recently interacted with with some Neil Strauss, listening to him on some podcasts. But I was intrigued by his book, The The Truth. Um, and I didn't make that collation of the Tom Cruise character Magnolia, which is probably probably my favorite film of all time. But that, oh, yeah. that's a perfect comparison because very much that art of seduction and and you know treat women like a piece of meat and and the conquest and all that, you know, and, and then, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> when, when, when you get toward the end of the film, you know, he, he's acting out of this huge wound and, and really it's just his love for his mother and, and the pain that he endured from his father and the way his father mistreated his mother. And he's just like a wreck. I mean, he's just like a, he's just a wreck. And, and his whole persona, that whole thing that he built is, is, acting out of that wound so some interesting stuff being explored there uh so yeah um the game which i haven't read but is is kind of 
goes into that element of you know using certain psychological techniques to seduce women and and then you know fast forward years later uh, the author this person we're talking about is Neil Strauss he's in love with a woman and he cheats on her and so he starts to kind of unpack uh, the stuff that he was you know espousing in the game and now he's in an inpatient uh, treatment facility for sex addiction and it's just brutally honest it's just an interesting read and he's an interesting writer uh, he he co-wrote um, Motley Crue's book, The Dirt, like that's how oh, like, wow. one of the ways he got his start is kind of doing some rock and roll journalism. And he talks about this in, in some in some podcast interviews I, I heard from him is in I think this is before he even wrote the game. It's like I'm just kinda of like this dorky, nerdy guy. And I figure, well, if I'm writing for Motley Crue and I'm backstage at a Motley Crue concert, I mean, surely I'm gonna get laid. Right. And then, you know, to his dismay, he never got laid at a, you know, <laughs> even though he's with Motley Crue or something. And so then uh, you know, he he wrote the game to kind of figure this stuff out and had a lot of success from it. Right. But then yeah, it starts to unpack this you know, am I a sex addict? Uh, you know, d- just really intense therapy in an inpatient facility and just going through all these questions, going into pain about family issues, issues with his father, and it just kind of unveils a lot of that stuff. It's an interesting read. I'm only a third into it, so right. so I can't talk too much about it, but it's, it, it's a very entertaining. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it. Well, I mean... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Or, or, it's not a book uh, that... So how does this... How, how do you see this in community? Like, the, the, he goes to this outpatient facility, mm-hmm. which are interesting. Those are interesting. Yeah. Um, $50,000 sometimes to stay there for a week, two weeks, some of these places... Well, what he was describing about that, and I was sharing with you guys earlier, is that... Usually intensive therapy in an inpatient setting, there's this great sense of urgency because it's a matter of life and death. Right. You know, we better straighten your shit out or else you're going to die kind of thing. Yeah. And so he's like, everyone everyone with an issue should experience inpatient, you know, intensive therapy like this and, you know, uh-huh. rehab. Right. Uh, otherwise, when you go see your counselor, you know, you go once a week, once every other week and, and uh, you, you get something out of it maybe, something to kick you along, help you out, little little dose of, of adrenaline to, to keep you through the week and then you come back get your fix the following week right. but in intensive inpatient therapy it's oh no it's do or die so it's much more intensive and they really got to get underneath it and figure it out or else you know you're going to die or something right, right so so he's talking about that some but what he what he's talking about with regards to to, to the game is, is you know um and again I, I haven't read it but a lot of it really is, is less about you know, using psychological techniques to seduce women, and it's more about the fragile male ego and just how damaged men are. You know, yeah. maybe especially in twenty first century uh, America. Uh, you know, and some of that gets a little Freudian. With you know, maybe somebody was hurt as a child, neglected as a child, control abuse, something was taken from them as a child. And so the, a way to get that back is to have control over somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, or pornography or different images. I don't recall him going speed. so much into the porn thing. Like, well, there's definitely overlap, but, but he talks about it much more like, like, you know, like, like the intimate ways of, of just, you know, why well, I need, I need to be naked with a beautiful woman, to feel significant or something. And surely, I mean, sometimes there's some mommy and daddy issues that play there to get into the Freudian stuff. But I, I didn't, I didn't read or, or hear him touch on, 
on the pornography Porn's thing. A different animal. It, is, a different, it seems like it would Porn's be. Porn's a different yeah. type of damage. It seems like it would be. Like, yeah. the, it's always accessible. It doesn't ever let you down. It doesn't. I mean, for me, me and most people that I know that have dealt with it, I mean, the biggest draw of porn is the ability to escape. Instantaneously, right. too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, I, you know, you're experiencing anxiety or depression or just tiredness or exhaustion or your head spinning, you're stuck in a loop. You or know, can't sleep. You can't sleep. You, yeah, uh, you're, you're facing boredom for the next hour. Mm. Like, all those things, like, you, you have the ability to instantly turn that off yeah. and just get a break and rest yeah. and that's the draw there seems to be the thought out there is it and i'm correct me if i'm wrong but like well porn's where it starts you know next thing you know you'll be you know um, it's true for some people i don't think it's true for everybody yeah. well like like i <laughs> i i, I gateway heard this, drug the gateway drug i heard this thing you know a, a year or two ago bill maher was just it was, it was kind of funny and bill maher's bill maher but I don't know where he was getting the statistic, but basically he was citing something where the majority of American men would prefer pornography and masturbation to actually going out and picking up a woman and taking her home and sleeping yeah. with her. And it's like, you know, he's kind of like, gee, really, America? I mean, where did you guys get so lazy? That's so pathetic. Like, you prefer that over a real woman? But then you do the math and think about it. It's like, i got to get dressed up, a few drinks, and maybe she will, maybe she won't. That eh, sounds like a pain in the ass. I mean, just catch say, a disease. <laughs> catch a disease. I could get rolled. I could, yeah. yeah. Uh, be crazy. Just she stay home. Bite you know? my face off. Yeah. yeah. You just stay home. It's cheaper. And, right. You know. yeah. 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 So there's a certain laziness, a certain, like, kind yeah. of, like, laziness it's, it's, with it. But I mean, it's also, it's a practical laziness. Yeah. And you're so pragmatic, yeah. too. You're the pragmatic it's guy. Pragmatic laziness. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> it makes sense, you know. It, it's sad, but, but see, it that's where makes sense. That's where we go into relationship. And that's what's interesting right. about um, community groups and churches is there's these different relationships. So I'm coming in totally raw to John's community group. I'm talking about... I'm, I'm unpacking all my horrible issues from the past. Talking about stuff I hadn't talked about most of my life. Shedding tears. Stuff like that. And then there's other people that are just like... You know, I thought we were going to study the Bible, right? That kind of thing. But always, I, I guess the, the thing that I, that I was drawn to is this organic relationship that we have with, with God and with, with other people. Um, I don't agree with everything Rob Bell says, right? But two things I respect about Rob Bell is, is one, that he started out his ministry when, when he was like seminary. The, somebody told him to start going to AA groups. Oh, really? Yeah. I know that. And he said, just, you know, when they ask you a question, they ask you to speak, just say pass. But he says, sit through these groups and listen to these people. Yeah. And, and you're going to be invited, you're going to hear people in their anonymous behind the counter. Yeah. In that space where a lot of people don't see them, right? Um, they're going to be shedding this, their secret. They're going to be telling their secrets. They're going to be exposing in the light things that they don't normally expose to other people. And they're going to be talking about their just foundational roots of well-being and 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 being um being yeah right and and so that was one thing and the thing that i saw beautiful about that and, and another thing that he said about organic spiritual disciplines like some of the stuff we were talking about with meditation 
we live in a push-button society. Yes, we do. So if I need a potato, I go to the store and I buy a potato, I put it in the microwave and it's done in 10 minutes, right? I mean, you, you rewind to the time when the Bible was written. If they wanted a potato, they have to grow a freaking potato. Mm-hmm. If they wanted milk, they're going to have to have a, a cow and, or a goat. And you, it, you didn't just push a button and get things. Mm-hmm. It was organic. It took time. It took a cultivation that we don't have today. Right. And I think that's, there's something to that spiritually as, as we walk out this life. And The amazing thing on that is... Despite that lifestyle, there was still a call for monasteries. Mm, so yeah. even in that, there was still the need to even pull back from the daily life yeah. that they were living yeah. at this much Retreat. slower pace. Yeah. And, and in many cases, live the rest of their life in this in this very toned down, focused, meditative right. state. And, and Worshipping and, God in that and actually, place. They were much more popular back then than oh, they are yeah. now. Like it was a common lifestyle yeah. back then. That's very interesting. One it's, is, it's, it's, it's also the relationships right. with the other people right. that you yes. knew in those places. Right. They weren't isolated. They were yeah. hyper-communal in most cases. Yeah. One of the, the shifts away, because I had a background with more Reformed theology, but when you study the, you know, what Derek's talking about with monasticism or, or ancient Christian practices... Is, is this view that, you know, we participate in our own salvation. I mean, salvation is a gift from God. It's from God, okay? Yeah. Uh, you can't earn your salvation. However, uh, we do have a job to eliminate the things that distract us and keep us from God. That's our part in our salvation. And that was the role that monasticism served, is, you know, eliminating those distractions. And you can argue that maybe the pendulum goes one too far one way or too far another, or, you know, the, the asceticism is, you know, you're too uh, heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or then there's this side where... Well, we're getting, then we're yeah. getting into thoughts, right? Rather than the, the feelings of... One well, of those thoughts, I'm, I'm, the fruit of those thoughts. I think the fruit of those thoughts are the feelings that come out in our relationships. So a lot of times we 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 go off. We uh, hopefully relationships keep you grounded, but there I think could be a human element with anything, be it asceticism or I, being an iconoclast, where we could be OCD about it. You know, right. I think it's just keeping that tension. Of, no, it's good for you to, to eliminate those those distractions, and that's how we participate in our salvation. And that's what those disciplines are, are for, you know. Yeah. Uh, seasons of fasting, seasons of, of, of abstaining from drink or, or meat, you know. I mean, that's not all bad. It's like, oh, that's religious, that's religious. Well, no, it, it, it serves a purpose. It basically resets your body, your mind. It helps you exercise self-control over your appetites and affections. Right. So it has a purpose for it. Right. Now, yeah, can you go too far and be religious with it? Yeah, yeah. It, like anything. But, but it springs from... That again, that fruit of the spirit. Yes, that's interesting. That analogy, using that that fruit of the spirit analogy, is that it's fruit, and it didn't come from the deli <laughs> QFC. Like it had to be, it had to be grown cultivated. and cultivated over time. And I think that's God is the the sunlight, the fertilizer, the ground, and I think that has a lot to do with with what we're talking about here. When you talk about community, that's the other facet of salvation, is it's not just me and Jesus. Like, we're all doing this together. Yeah. We're all working out our salvation together in community, collectively. At least, you know, ideally that's the way it, it, it should be. Yeah. Uh, no man's an island, you know. And, oh, I got the Bible, I got Jesus, it's just me and Jesus. No, it, it's more complicated than that. We're 
kind of in we're we're in this mess together yeah. and, and and we all affect each other you yeah. know whether we realize it or not i think we're connected and and we affect each other in community uh helps with that having relationships helps with that and yeah yeah it helps cultivate the the truth of our being mm-hmm. those are two questions that paul young asked me and it came from another guy uh, baxter wrote a book about about the shack and in theological terms and kind of unpacking some of the theology of of Paul's work in the shack, and he asked these two questions, like, wholeness, he defines wholeness as this, when the truth of your being meets the way of your being, that's wholeness. Hmm. So if you don't know the truth of your being, right, <laughs> there can be, there's issues there. Mm-hmm. The way of your being is, is simply, so when we live a double life, and this happens a lot in Christian circles, right, or in what we're talking about, we're trying to get to the roots, to the, to that fruit, um, to have these both these things come together. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What do you guys think? Is that a good place to land the plane? Sure. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians 4. 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 5. Against, against such things there is no law. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get to. That's like spiritual anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> right there. All right, guys. Thanks again for doing this. Um, Russ at ASI247.org if you have anything to add to the conversation or if if this touched you in any way, if this gave you hope, if this frustrated you, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks, guys, for doing this. I'm sorry I was late. I was late showing up for this. My job, the traffic in Seattle. I can make all the excuses in the world. But uh, I, thanks again for, for you opening your home, Derek, and, and for you guys uh, spending this we time. We the mojitos. Yeah, the mojitos <laughs> are awesome. That's right. That was a good idea. Thanks. All right. And uh, until next time, bye. <laughs>